On today's episode of the John Campy Show podcast, Barbie is coming to home video on September 5th, but is that too soon for a film that's still on top of the box office charts? Also, there are reports going around that Thor 5 is now in development, but there are some reasons to believe it and some reasons not to believe that. The streaming honeymoon is over as cold reality is coming, including maybe annual contracts. A Blue Beetle has suffered the lowest box office opening since Wonder Woman 1984 for the DC Cinematic Universe. And in a brilliant move, Ahsoka is no longer going to release in the middle of the night like other Disney Plus shows. It's actually going to release in prime time. We're going to talk about that and a whole bunch more. The John Campy Show podcast starts right now. And salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn movie related show on the planet Earth, the John Campus Show podcast, coming to you from right here in our quaint little studio, brought to you in part by our friends at Mint Mobile. I'm, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies and movie news, TV and streaming, not just giving you our opinions, but giving you information and context so you guys can form your own well-informed opinions, whether they're the same or completely different from ours. Uh, joining me in studio today, we got Ray Ora. Happy Monday. Jonathan Voiko is here. Hello. Writer, director, producer, mm. YouTuber himself, Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett is here. And most importantly, you guys are here. Thank you so much for being here and making this show part of your day. And here's how today's show is going to go. We're first going to talk about all those topics that we listed off. And then we're going to take questions and comments from our YouTube channel members. We have a wonderful group of supporters known as our YouTube channel members. You should look into becoming one. And every day we ask them to send in some topics for us to discuss. And we'll get to those at the end of the show. Okay. With that down, let's dive right into it. So, Barbie is, of course, been the box office story of the year. It's not yet the number one film of the year. It's probably still going to become that, but it's been the story at the box office of the year. And it's coming out pretty soon on home video, but is it coming too soon? That is the topic of today's Mint Mobile hotline question of the day. Listen, if you guys have a question for our show or for one of our short videos that we do, call it in anytime, 24-7 at 951 268 Four two five nine, And every day we take one or two of those. And again, today's is about, is it too soon for Barbie to come to home video? Check it out. Hi, John. This is Kevin. I have a question about Barbie. So it has been announced that Barbie will be hitting a digital release on September 5th. And this is really strange to me because last I checked, the movie was still number one at the box office after four weeks. I know that theatrical windows are shortening, but it seems kind of crazy to start talking about digital releases, at least not until the movie drops to fifth or sixth, don't you think? Anyway, love the show. Have a good day and bring on the filthy. All right, Kevin, thanks a lot for calling that in. And yeah, listen, Barbie just had its fifth week in the box office. Fifth. And it's still in second place. It got knocked out of the top spot after holding that for four weeks in a row. It got dropped all the way down to number two, still making $21 million in its fifth weekend, which is almost equivalent to what Blue Beetle made in its opening weekend. <laughs> uh, we'll get to that in just a little bit. So it is still making money hand over fist. It's now made well over $1.2 billion at the box office. It's now about $75-ish million away, closing in on Mario Brothers for the number one box office film of the year title. And it's still rolling pretty good. 
but it's scheduled to come out on home video, at least not on Max for free streaming if you're a Max subscriber, but rather for you to rent on your major uh, you know, outlets that you use online to buy or rent your movies. It's coming out September 5th. And is that too soon? I've got two minds on this. On the one hand, yes, it's too soon. This movie still just made $21 million at the box office. And I got news for you. Whenever you put Barbie out on home video, whether it's in two and a half weeks or in two months, it's going to make all the money that it's going to make. It, really, a, a delay in when this comes out on home streaming is not going to impact it. I really believe that 100%. However, what will get impacted is its box office dollars. Because they are literally going to be leaving $15, $20 million on the table, I think, in sacrificed box office revenue in order to get to home video. Home video, which whatever amount of money it's going to make there, it'll still make in six weeks than it would now. So on that side, I do think it's, it's too soon for them to come out with this. That being said, in Warner Brothers' defense, Rob... You know, as somebody who is recently with films of yours like Tango Shalom and others, you know that planning, orchestrating, working through the logistics of a home video and digital release is not something you do overnight. This is something you plan for a very long time. You plan additional marketing pushes around it, all this kind of stuff. And there ain't none of us in this room that thought Barbie was going to make $1.2 billion. Including Warner Brothers. Including Warner Brothers. <laughs> Nobody thought it was going to be making $21 million in its fifth weekend. No. Nobody thought that. So if you had asked me, Rob, six weeks ago, do you think a September 5th digital release for Barbie is pretty okay? I would have said, yeah, that, that seems reasonable. It's going to be pretty much finished its box office run by its sixth or seventh weekend. It ain't going to make $1.2 So, yeah, it's too soon. But I understand why they planned it for that, and it's probably too late to change it, I would think. Rob... Uh, you, we were all surprised by the box office success of Barbie. What do you think about its digital release? I, I think you nailed it. I mean, these things have to be planned not just weeks in advance, but months in advance. I mean, when you put something up on whether it's SVOD or, or, or streaming of any kind, you have to program all kinds of metadata. You have to have it subtitled in whatever languages that people speak in the country that you're releasing it in, which in America, I mean, you look at certain home video releases on disc, they've got 20 different subtitle tracks mm. depending on who you are so this is something that was was decided upon i'm sure warner brothers are kicking themselves yeah. but but you know they make deals and set they, they sign contracts these kinds of things way in advance so it's not like i mean i think like in a case of tom cruise doing maverick I'll bet they left that a little open-ended so yeah. they were able to see what happened because they knew they could have a potential hit on their hands, knowing because obviously they had known for a year in advance how good the movie was. Right. Because it was finished early, you know, way earlier than when it came out. But with Barbie, I think they didn't expect the Barbenheimer meme craze to happen, and they certainly didn't expect the movie to make as much money as it has. And I'm sure that everyone is kicking themselves because even in... I mean, like you said, over $20 million for the second weekend. I mean, the second, it comes down Fifth to number weekend. two after five weeks in the theater. Yeah. This doesn't happen. I mean, this is this is unprecedented. And yet, I mean, like you said, it will hurt the box office. But I think people are still loving to go to the theater 
and dress 100%. up in pink and go. So it is going to hurt the box office. But on the other hand, you think people aren't going to watch this at home and pay 20 bucks and have their friends come over and have Barbie parties? Bring out, I'm going to bring out all my Barbies from when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, We're going to see that happen. So, Well, we just went to see Blue Beetle, right, at the beginning of the weekend. And there were still people there in the theater dressed in pink. They were still doing it to themes, still going out. And so, yeah, I ultimately think they are leaving some money on the table. But I, I kind of get why. Anyway, guys, what do you guys think about this? Uh, can you see why it's kind of planned this way? Do you think they should just pull an emergency and just say, no, 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 we're going to put it off? But putting it off at this point could cost them a lot of money, too. Whatever you think, let us know down below. All right. With that down, guys, uh, let's move on to this, shall we? There are reports going around right now that Thor 5 is in development right now. That they are developing and putting together Thor 5 as we speak. And uh, we did a short video on this on the YouTube channel a little bit earlier today. Uh, again, some rumors, reports going around that they're already going into development on this. And take a look at, at this. You could understand why, because even the last two Thor movies, right? Thor Ragnarok, which I contend is a top 10 best comic book movie ever. It was that, that typical Marvel, well, what used to be typical Marvel, perfect balance of the heavy, of the dark, of the serious, balanced off against lightheartedness, fun, and humor, right? You had a lot of levity in it, but you also had the death of Odin. You had some a big plethora of jokes, you know, piss off, ghost. I still love that line. <laughs> but you also had the destruction of Asgard. Like, they, it was a great balance. And the results were overwhelming. The audiences loved it. It got a 93% critic rating on Rotten Tomatoes made $855 million. Now, you go to the next Taika Waititi-directed Thor film, and despite the fact that it's a significant step down from Thor Ragnarok, despite the fact that they took that perfect balance of dark and light and went way too far to the light and made it way too silly, despite all that, the fact of the matter is that movie still made $760 million at the box office. Audiences still love Chris Hemsworth as Thor. Even people who didn't like Thor Love and Thunder still love Chris Hemsworth as Thor. So what do we think about these reports going around that they are already developing Thor 5? Well, in the video we did a little bit earlier today, I pointed out a couple of reasons why I believe it's not true and a couple of reasons to believe that maybe it could be true. Let's take a look at this in the classroom. Under why you should probably not believe that it's true, number one, there's a writer's strike going on. It's been going on for over three and a half months. We're getting close to four months now. Without writers, there is no development. You're not putting anything together without writers. So unless this thing was starting to be written six months ago, it's highly unlikely. The second biggest reason against it is that all the reports confirm that Taika Waititi is not signed back up for another Thor movie yet. The person who would be doing the development of any such Thor 5 is not signed on to do it. So I don't know how we believe that there's development happening on putting together a Thor 5 movie when there are no writers and when the director in question has not yet signed on. It seems pretty unlikely. Now, under the category of why maybe it could be true, I bring up two things. Maybe the writer started working before the writer strike came, right? That is, that's possible. 
that they could have been working on and writing this a long time ago. We've often mentioned on this show, when you hear about a big piece of news in movies or like a big casting, that that casting probably actually happened four to six months before it actually became publicly known. Not always, but but sometimes that's the case. So maybe they were writing it early. Also, maybe it's not Taika Waititi. I mean, listen, Thor Love and Thunder took its smacks, deservedly so to a degree. And it might be just that Taika Waititi, an Oscar winner, by the way, for films like, well, he won his Oscar for Jojo Rabbit, one of the best films I've seen in the last bunch of years. Uh, and of course, magnificent job he did what we do in the shadows and great job he did on Thor Ragnarok. But he he took his first critical smacks from Thor Love and Thunder, something he had not received in his whole career, really. And it could quite be possible that maybe he's ready to step away from it. Maybe Disney wants to go bring in a fresh director to give some new life to the franchise. So maybe it's not Taika. We haven't heard that Taika's not doing it, but maybe they got a whole new director and maybe that director's already on board and we just don't know about it yet. So I believe there are reasons there you could believe this story. Rob, me personally, I do not believe that Thor 5 is in development right now for the aforementioned reasons. But I don't think it's the craziest idea that it could be in development because I think everybody agrees. Since everybody loves Thor and loves Chris Hemsworth in the role, I think we all believe we're going to see him back as Thor again, whether it's a Thor 5, Kang Dynasty, Secret Wars, whatever. So it could be possible. I don't buy it. What do you think about this? Well, I think the Marvel movies, you know, they do have a visual design and development team at Marvel that's constantly working that is not bound by the writers or the actors strike. Mm. So, you know, they they I think that they probably have overarching cuz you see it in their art of books. Yes. You see all the artwork that was created, some of it's used, some of it isn't used. So, I would believe that they have a Thor 5 potential movie that they might want to make. And if they do make it, these are some of the things we might see in it. So they've got artwork of like beats they have to hit in order to get to the next Avengers movie or to get to Kang Dynasty and and Secret Wars, or also whatever they're overarching, not that we've seen much of a plan in phase four and phase five, hmm. but yeah, there's, probably, there's probably things that they've wanted to see in a Thor movie because there's various Thor villains. So there's probably there's probably been some kind of development on it, but not necessarily a script or a director. Because the visual design team, and you know, they've well documented all this stuff because every Marvel movie that comes out gets the art of Thor Love and Thunder. And you see, and same with the Star Wars movies, the art of the Mandalorian or the art of Clone Wars or whatever. And we get and we see a lot of things, like especially in the art of um Rise of Skywalker, there's so many cool things that weren't in the movie, you know, things that they developed. And I'm like, why didn't you do that? But they they did it. You know, they developed it, but not in script form. So maybe somebody said, well, you know, Thor 5 is in development. But they didn't mean like there's a script or something. And then suddenly, of course, the Internet runs with it. And people are like, hey, it's in development, the trades report on it. But like you said, no, no director's been officially signed and there's no script. And there can't be a script until after the writer strikes over. But I do think they've probably done some work on a potential thing that might one day become Thor 5. It all depends on how much Kevin Feige can be involved right now. Because like to the Star Wars examples, like I remember Doug Chang would do all these conceptual pieces. Yeah. But he did them based on George coming to him and saying, 
we're going to try this, 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 yeah. this, start putting it together as he was having the script developed. Obviously, there's no script here. But I mean, if Kevin Feige, now we're getting really into the theoretical. Yeah. <laughs> but if Kevin Feige is already saying, I'm going to be more hands-on with the next Thor project, I'm going to want this to happen in it. I'm going to want this to happen in it and this happened in it. And when we bring in writers, they're going to have to write their script around what I'm plotting out. And the director is going to have to direct around what I'm plotting out, which would maybe suggest that Taika Waititi doesn't come back under those types of circumstances. I, I don't know. So it's possible. Yeah. Because they really do. I, I would contend, and I don't know what you think about this. I really think they need Thor because with, I think the MCU has suffered a lot for many different reasons, but one of them is the fact that they lost their heart and soul in their faces of the franchise, right? Tony Stark isn't there. Steve Rogers isn't there. The arguable third member of the trinity of that would be Chris Hemsworth's Thor, which I think makes him even more vitally important right now. So I can see them doing it. I just know if they're doing it yet. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, guys, let's move on from that now to this. You know, we were talking about home video a little while ago. You know, when the pandemic started and all the streaming services took off because movie theaters were closed, everybody was quarantining at home, needed their streaming entertainment. And listen, we really needed it. I mean, streaming was there when we needed it, right? And at that time, I don't know if I would have been able to keep my sanity during, the, especially the first six months of the quarantine without streaming. I was able to get caught up on a whole bunch of stuff. I watched Avatar, The Last Airbender, for the first time. <laughs> thanks to streaming services and me being able to be there. But it began this illusion that streaming was the golden future for both the studios and for us as audiences. For the studios, they just thought, this is going to be printing money. Just having our own streaming service is going to be free, easy money. Everything streaming services. And we saw a lot of big, stupid decisions being made by studios at that time, taking great movies, Instead of holding on to them for theaters, like Top Gun Maverick did, they said, ah, we're going to dump them for day-and-day -day releases or just not give them theatrical releases at all, putting out there. And they have quickly found out that that path has led to ruin. On the other hand, you had us as audience members. We all thought, ah, oh, the age of streaming. This is what us cable subscribers <laughs> from back in the day, you know, those folks who used rotary phones, you know, this was the replacement for cable. Gone are the days that we're going to be paying high prices with ridiculous contracts or having to sit through ages of commercials, you know, all this kind of stuff, right? Well, slowly but surely, that illusion from us as consumers has been falling apart as well. And I read a great article this weekend in Yahoo Finance that really puts it great for how this illusion of this golden era of streaming for us as film fans or television fans has fallen apart. L listen to this. Again, this is from Yahoo Finance. It writes, streaming services like Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, and YouTube uh, were supposed to save us from overpriced cable packages that drained our pockets for decades. And indeed, for a time, those platforms threw themselves at us with low prices and the ability to share accounts with friends and family. But those days are gone. And streaming is increasingly conjuring the ghost of overpriced cable bundles. We are past the gold rush era of streaming television, explained uh, Gartner Research Director and an analyst Eric Schmidt. The business models that are premised on eyeballs, because remember, that's what they used to think. As long as a lot of people watching, that means money, right? They found out it doesn't. 
the models that are premised on eyeballs and not revenue are no longer viable. For users, that means rising prices, more ads, and crackdowns on password sh uh, sharing. For companies, it means users canceling plans more often when they run out of shows and movies that they want to watch. So basically, the golden era for us as consumers, lower prices, greater choice, less ads, being able to even share our content, one by one, all those things have fallen till we're just left with that. That's kind of been for us. And for the companies, they've realized, as Rob has pointed out so many times in the past, there's only so many people in the market <laughs> to sign up. Their spending was way out of control. To their credit, a lot of these streaming companies have started reeling in their spending and all that kind of stuff. And they're realizing more and more that churn is becoming more and more of a thing. As prices have increased, people have started to adding and removing their streaming services when there's something that they want to watch. For example, look at this. We broke down like these average costs of streaming prices, but if you average it across this, it could be higher, it could be lower. You're looking at average paying about 110 bucks a month <laughs> for your streaming. And some streaming services are like your gym memberships. You've had them for five months and you haven't been there more than once or twice, right? So more and more, us consumers, I haven't done it yet myself, but a lot of people I know are starting to do the churn. The churn means, okay, I've got Netflix as long as Stranger Things is on. Stranger Things, the new season's done. Great. Cancel my Netflix and I'll go over here and subscribe to Paramount Plus to watch, you know, uh, Lioness. I'll go over there to watch Special Ops Lioness. And then when that's done, I'll cancel my account. And that hurts the streamers even more. Now, look, nobody has told me this, but as we've seen the crackdown on password sharing, which I agree with, I think they should crack down on password sharing. We've seen the proliferation of ads, going back to the old cable model, rising prices. Rob, I believe, and I don't even think this is a long way off. I think this is coming soon. With churn on the rise, I believe we are going to see what cable companies used to do. I think we are going to pretty soon be, hey, great. You want to sign up for Disney Plus? Wonderful. Here's your one-year contract. That they're going to try to end churn. And I can understand why they'd want to do that because you want to lock in that revenue you're going to get. But as more and more audience members start churn, I believe you're going to, and I think it'll probably start with Disney, but I think... Netflix is not going to be far behind. I definitely think Max isn't going to be far behind. If Peacock can survive, it won't be far behind, and neither will Paramount. Although Paramount's net value has dropped 70% in the last little while. It's gone from a $30 billion valuation company to a $10 billion valuation company. But Rob, I, I really do believe a time is imminently coming. Like I think within the next two years, maybe even less, that these streamers are going to say, hey, you can have a monthly plan for... 30 bucks a month or you can get it for like 12 months a month by signing on for our one-year contract or maybe even foregoing the option for a monthly and going pure required one-year sign up like your cell phone or whatever. I don't know. What do you think about this article in Yahoo Finance and the stuff that they're saying? What do you think about my fear that we're pretty soon going to see mandatory one-year contracts? Uh, you know, I think all of it's true. Uh, the one-year mandatory contract, I think, is coming. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody decides to bundle them all. 
like a cable company. Yeah, buy a we've been bundle, talking about that recently. You too. know, and 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 also, you know, when you think about it, John, if you look at a streamer like Netflix, which I still consider to be the granddaddy of streamers, maybe not necessarily the best, but Netflix always has something new. A diversity of programming. It's got new series. It's got documentary shows. It's got reality shows. It's got all kinds of stuff on it. So I think that like Netflix is pretty secure because they're always coming up with some kind of new programming. But when it comes to like Disney Plus or even Paramount Plus, for me, it's very program specific because they don't have a lot of new shows. Certainly not the kind of diversity of programming that Netflix does. So I really think that some of these streamers have tried to up their prices and they're not providing the value of Netflix, which is expensive, but you get a lot more. And so these streamers have really, I think, bitten off way more they can than they can chew because Disney Plus especially, they were considering that, oh, every family's going to have to have Disney you mm. know, because of the kids. But for us, what do we want on Disney? We want Star Wars and Marvel. That's it. That's one show every quarter. You can't run a streamer that way. There's no, there's no, it's no wonder why they've lost a ton of money. And what they want to do is they want to up their subscription price. Well, what are you getting for that? Not much new. How are they going to survive? They're going to have to either sell it, sell you an annual thing or bundle it with other services together. So they're assured of getting a percentage and not churn. Right. And they're already doing, they're already in their own neighborhood doing some bundling, right? Like with, with Hulu, Hulu, with ESPN, but they might be selling off ESPN sooner rather than later. I mean, I always thought the strength of Disney Plus was the library rather than the new content. But I mean, to your point, when they're putting out only certain amounts of content and raising their prices, usually when you raise your prices, you say, oh, we're doing an additional this or that. They haven't been offering that. Just We're just raising the prices. Why? Well, because we are. Yeah. And and to your point too, Netflix, out of all those streaming services, they're the only ones that make a profit every year. But it took them over a decade. It did. But they're also buying all kinds of foreign programming. Yep. So they're appealing to people. You can see things from all over the world that they're the only, I would have thought other streamers would have jumped onto that bandwagon, but they're not. You know, and Netflix has kind of cornered that market, which was really smart. All right, guys, what do you think? Listen, if they did, and do you think that they're going to move to like pure annual contracts? I mean, they already have options like, hey, pay for the full year in advance and you get it at a bit of a lower rate. But do you think those mandatory annual contracts will come as churn increases amongst viewers? And if you, as an individual consumer, if they do go to mandatory annuals, are there services you will still sign up for? Are those that you won't? Uh, Let us know what you guys think. All right. Listen, guys, we still got to talk about Blue Beetle having an absolutely horrible opening weekend, despite the fact that it's a pretty darn good movie. Uh, Ahsoka moving to primetime. But before we get to that, we're going to take a quick second here and thank a sponsor of today's episode of the John Campus Show podcast, our friends who have saved me a bunch of money at Rocket Money. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, Rocket Money. Did you know that the average person has around 12 paid subscriptions and they might not even remember to subscribing to half of those? If you have no idea just how much you're spending each month, you need Rocket Money. It's this great app that tracks all of your expenses so you know exactly where your money is going. I recently just found out that over 80% of people have subscriptions that they've completely forgotten about. Seriously, think about how many free trials you subscribe to that you just probably never canceled. And that's why I'm such a big fan of Rocket Money, because I was one of those people. 
When I signed up to Rocket Money, I was stunned to find out that a gym I had belonged to in another city I lived in, I had still been paying my dues to for over two years. Also, that music subscription service I use, yeah, I forgot I was subscribed to two other ones. That's where Rocket Money comes in because Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. With over 3 million users and counting, Rocket Money customers have saved on average of $720 a year. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions and manage your money the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash campia. That's rocketmoney.com slash campia. Rocketmoney.com slash campia. And thank you to our friends at Rocket Money for saving me money <laughs> and for being a sponsor of the John Campia Show podcast. All right, guys, with that down, let's move into this, shall we? Blue Beetle opened up this weekend. And uh, hey, I like the movie. I think it was fun. I had a good time watching it. It wasn't great, but it was quite good. It was fun. So one of the things I have said about this movie for a while is that I believe it's going to be pretty good, but it's going to tank. And tank it did. It was going into the weekend with projections of a $30 million opening, which was already going to be concerning. Uh, but it came in less than that as the top 10 chart came out. And as we look at it here, Blue Beetle made $25.4 million on its opening weekend. Now, that was good enough to dethrone Barbie in its fifth weekend uh, down to $21.5 million. Uh, Oppenheimer, by the way, with this new $10 million, over $700 million now. It's closing in on Deadpool for the number two and number three spots on the all-time R-rated box office film list. It's just an interesting thing there. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle stays in the top five, making another eight million. Strays bombed at 8.3 million on its opening weekend. Really funny-ass movie. You absolutely should go watch Strays if you're into vulgar humor. If you're not, it's not for you. But I love that movie. I thought it was great. But Blue Beetle making $25.4 million, less than its already concerning $30 million projection. Now, to put that into perspective for you, Let's look at the opening weekend numbers of the last five DC films. The Flash, which, which was the total box office for The Flash? Like $275 million worldwide total? Something like that? I don't think it cracked $300 million. The Flash opened to $55 million. More than double of what Blue Beetle opened to. And it only managed to make a huge flop, $268 million total worldwide. Shazam Fury, The Gods, which only made $133 million worldwide. Biggest financial fiasco in the history of the major comic book films. And it opened with more than Blue Beetle did at $30.1 million. Black Adam, which failed to crack the $400 million mark, opened with a much higher $67 million. The Suicide Squad. In the midst of the pandemic and opening on HBO Max the same day it was going to theaters, still managed to have a bigger opening weekend than Blue Beetle at $26 million. You got to go all the way back to Wonder Woman 1984, and we all know about the extenuating circumstances surrounding that. But still, the only movie it beats on this list is Wonder Woman 1984. Now, look, you don't need to be a scientist to figure out causality here. I've been saying it for forever. The general audiences have completely abandoned the DCU. They have since 2018. We have not had a single DC film in the last five years make over $400 million. Think about that. We're just talking about the huge disappointment of Thor Love and Thunder. That movie made $760 million. We haven't had a single DC movie in five years make over 400. 
The audience has abandoned them. And that's why I said for so long, even though I think Blue Beetle looks really interesting and looks promising and I'm looking forward to it, it's going to tank. Now, there's always the hope for legs, right? That it'll, it'll leg it out and do great. But I don't think the movie was that good that it's going to really get this overwhelming positive push to go see it, unfortunately. Because again, I think this is a movie people should see. I like this film. But uh, pretty tragic. Uh, Rob, you know, I, I know you were like me. You you thought this movie looked like it had promise. We love the narrative behind it, that it was a project that was destined for to be dumped on Max. They said, this looks good enough to put in theaters. They decided to give it a theatrical release. I'm glad they did. What do you think about these numbers and, and can it turn it around? Well, that's the only, the one saving grace for this film is it wasn't made for $250 million. Indeed. You know, it yeah. was, it was made for streaming. Then they, they bumped it up and made it theatrical. Um, I look, I think I've not seen this movie yet. I like the character. I like the various iterations of blue beetle that we've seen in animated shows. This is not a character that's known by the general public, you know, and I think in a way, Blue Beetle, it's a little goofy. It's not even Shazam. It's not even The Flash. It's Blue Beetle. A lot of characters are known to the public. This is not necessarily one of those top-tier characters. I would hope that going into week two, being that there's a lot of people, I've talked to a lot of people that really enjoyed this movie, John. So maybe it has legs. Maybe word of mouth will help it carry it through. And, and you know, if worldwide, if they could make $200 million, 150 to 200 million. It's not a disaster. You know, it's not it it it's not great, but I think it's respectable, I guess. I mean, it's still a money loser at 200 million. Though, yeah, I know. Right? I mean, it, they made it for cheaper. But I they, think didn't they made make it for, it for like 90 cheap. million dollars though. It's cheap. Yeah, but, but when you add marketing cheap. and then the theatrical cut, I mean, it's it's going to lose them a lot of money. One other aspect of this, I want to get your thoughts on this. You know, James Gunn did that episode of Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Yeah. And one of the more confusing things he talked about, he said, uh, Blue Beetle's going to be the first character of the DCU, but the, the beginning of the DC, the brand new DCU is Superman Legacy in 2025. Had a lot of people confused. And I've said, I've said that I don't believe that, especially since this movie's going to flop, that the uh, Sholo playing Jaime Reyes, I don't think that Blue Beetle is going to be the DCU. Like, this movie's going to flop st tremendously, unfortunately. Well, at the big opening, check this out. James Gunn put up a picture on his Instagram with him and his partner, Peter Safran, co-CEOs of Disney. And James Gunn said, at the Blue Beetle screening, uh, with my partner, Peter Safran, can't wait for audiences to meet Jaime Reyes, who will be an amazing part of the DCU going forward. Now, I've said I don't believe for a second that we're going to see that, but James Gunn seems to have a different opinion of that. Do you think we're actually going to see Sholo as Blue Beetle moving forward, despite the fact that it looks like this is going to be another really rough box office run well, for them? Well, I think that's a possibility. I mean, James Gunn's The Suicide Squad did not make tons of money, and yet we got Peacemaker. True. Now yeah. they were they were being done. Good point. They were being done together, kind of. And Peacemaker, the show, was started before Suicide Squad came out, but Peacemaker certainly worked. And I think that that I think the character and the actor are appealing. I think they the are. Movie he was. I'm I'm not a fan of uh, Cobra Kai, but Sholo 
I, I got to tell you, he won me over. Yeah. In this, I thought he was a really good Jaime. And I think that I think a character. Look, everybody's just one step, a one movie away from being beloved. You know. Yeah. And just like you know, you might John John Cena in Peace in uh, Suicide Squad was he was fine. You know, it's dish, but in the Peacemaker TV show, <laughs> he's the star. Yeah. I mean, so that's all you need. And if I really believe that we're going to get something quite different from Superman Legacy, whatever it is, I think it's going to feel different. I think it's going to be classical. I think it's going to feel different than anything we've got from DC. And I could see, because there's multiple characters in that movie. So we'll see how it all works. But I, I think James Gunn's got a way to make it work. You know what? I, I say this too, without giving any spoilers away about Blue Beetle. One of the things that this movie did was there's nothing in this movie connecting it to the DCEU. They mentioned Batman, but Batman's going to be a part. They never mentioned any of the specific right. Ben Affleck Batman stuff. They mentioned Superman, but they don't mention anything Man of Steel specific stuff. Just general Superman, Batman, and Superman and Batman are going to be a part of the new DCU. So they've made this movie in, in a really in a way that if the DCEU was continuing, it would fit there. But without them tying those direct connections, they theoretically can move this Jaime Reyes into the new DCU if they wanted to. And it's also, you know, it's not a bad movie. People like it. That's yeah, good. So, like it. so people will enjoy it. And and so the character's not been damaged. It's still he's still an actor people like and the character people like. It's just. You know, it didn't it didn't cross over to the wider audience because they are not familiar with who the character is. Now, Ray, you boldly made a really big bet with me that this would be the billion dollar beetle that we were going to. Now, do you believe there's still that support that uh, that the, the billion dollar beetle can happen? Is that still coming or have you abandoned that one? You know, that was a long time ago. <laughs> we don't talk about that anymore. <laughs> you know, I went to the library. I got my mind right. <laughs> My mind is that what you right. do in the library? <laughs> I mean, right. there is no more libraries. I went somewhere to get my mind right, and it's right right now. So He spent time on Sex Court yeah, TV, well, figured you know, it out. To be honest, I thought if, if – if, I actually thought I had a chance to beat the Black Adam box office. Yeah. For, for, for real. Like, I actually thought it would, but if it was good, but – I don't know about the, this DC anymore. Maybe Aquaman, I don't know, will beat Black Adam. I don't know. But that actually, that I'm glad you brought that up because, Rob, when we did our short video on this earlier today, I mentioned, look, there's one now remaining legacy DCEU film to come. That's Aquaman 2, right? The first Aquaman made a billion dollars. I honestly don't know what this second one's going to do. Because aside from the fact that everyone has given up on the DCEU, <laughs> yeah. it's had its own drama. Not to mention, like, recently, all these reports from real outlets, not the Gus's Gas Station Movie Reviews fart outlets. I'm talking about the real outlets, the major news sources, saying that there have been massive development problems with it. They've had massive problems with their test screenings. They made adjustments and a test screen worse and all this kind of stuff. Not to mention all the TMZ stuff surrounding this movie. I, I am telling you right now, despite the fact that the first two months ago, I would have given it a different answer. Despite the fact that the first one made a billion, I'm not convinced this one's going to make 500 million. I'm not convinced this one even makes half of what the first one did. What do you think? I'm with you. 
Really? I mean, unless this movie is, is look, you know me. We saw Aquaman together. I really liked it. I was surprised at how much I liked Dude, it. Dude, you more than like. I remember we came out of that theater and you were buzzing. I like, was. You were super hyped because it, 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 it touched me like like I. It felt like a Ray Harryhausen movie. I thought it was like <laughs> watching Jason and the Argonauts again. It was a lot of fun. Skeleton battle. I mean, I loved all that stuff, and it, I didn't expect to. This film, and I'm a huge fan of James Wan. I mean, his Conjuring universe is still chugging along, making tons of money. There's a new Saw movie that he started, that franchise that looks yeah. good. Insidious 5 is making, like, James Wan has the magic touch. I would think that I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt, that I think I'm holding out that Aquaman's good, but in this day and age, we both love Flash. I still loved Flash. I still love Flash too. I don't care anybody says. I, I, I love that like, movie. I don't understand yep. what happened to that movie. It was, it was the tone of it was I, and, uh, you know, um, uh, and uh, Aquaman was already goofy. So I'm like, <laughs> if you're not gonna, if you're not gonna, if you're not in already, if you're not already in, I don't think Aquaman is going to be able to convince anybody. But man, I, I mean, I think you could be right in this day and age. Five hundred million might be optimistic. And it's yeah. a billion dollar. I mean, at this point, are people waiting for Aquaman two? It's almost like they're. Where's the hype? Where it's coming out in December or November or something? Well, I think it is December. And wasn't it supposed to come? Like, wasn't the original release yeah, yeah, date for supposed to be a year before ago? Avatar. Though, a yeah, week it was before yeah, Avatar. It was supposed to be last Christmas. Yeah. So, like, not only with all the other things against it, it's also all this wait a minute. That movie, is that still happening? Or didn't that movie come out like six months ago? It's It's got a big uphill battle in front of it still to go. Yeah. All right. Guys, with that down, let's uh, finish things off with this, shall we? Uh, Disney Plus, when it came out, everybody was real super excited that we were going to get Marvel stuff and Star Wars stuff. And, and what they did, they did something that HBO didn't do. If your movie was coming out on Thursday or Wednesday, they wouldn't wait till 7 p.m. They put it out at 12.01 a.m. They put it out at midnight, right? Now, this was good in some ways. I defended it for a while because even though it came out in the middle of the night, midnight for us here in California, 3 a.m. for our friends on the East Coast in New York and Toronto, 3 a.m. The good news was that when those shows came out, even though they were in the middle of the night, when you try to log on to Disney Plus to watch them, sorry, can't connect. Sorry, can't connect. Remember that? Like when WandaVision and Mandalorian were first coming out, it would always be like a reset. And sometimes it took me like 20 minutes to get connected. The fact that it was in the middle of the night alleviated that a little bit. Imagine how bad it would have been if it dropped at 7 p.m. You, It would have been, probably would have been crashing the servers, right? That being said, though, We've talked a lot on the show and a lot of you guys have written in to talk about, I mean, it's frustrating for a lot of people because the episode drops in the middle of the night. You can't watch it before work. Some people do, but a lot of people don't have the time to. And then you get to work and the water cooler talk sometimes is about that show, but you haven't had a chance to watch it yet. And Disney Plus hasn't been able to capitalize like Game of Thrones House of Dragon was able to, where everybody's watching it at the same time and able to talk about it all together. So a lot of people have wondered, shouldn't they move the start times of these premium Marvel and Star Wars shows to prime time? And as a matter of fact, Ray, 
I, who have been a midnight viewer of all the Star Wars and all the Marvel stuff, I recently said on my show, I'm done. The disappointment of Secret Invasion made meant I was done. Not done watching them, but I'm done staying up to midnight to watching them, right? Well, turns out I might not have to because according to reports here, this one comes from The Verge, Disney Plus has made the brilliant decision, and I don't get to say that about Disney much lately, wow. <laughs> but made the brilliant decision to actually move Ahsoka out from in the middle of the night, will now debut on Tuesday. That's tomorrow, my friends. Mm -hmm. At 9 p.m. East Coast time, that's 6 p.m. for us here in Los Angeles. Which means, not only do you get to watch it when everybody else watches it now, the other good thing is, you can actually have viewing parties again. I mean, we would still do viewing parties even at midnight, but, you know... That was tough. That was rough. But we can honestly now, people around the country can now do viewing parties. I am personally planning tomorrow and having people over and we're going to watch Ahsoka at 6 p.m. We're going to barbecue. We're going to watch the first two episodes of Ahsoka, which is going to come in about an hour and a half. This is going to be like watching a movie event. And I think this is a really good move on their part. Hopefully they've shored up their technology with the back end to make sure they can handle the influx of people coming to watch. But Rob, I'll tell you what, I don't see a downside to this. I think this is a really good move on their part. And to do it with a show that's as anticipated as Ahsoka is, I'm looking forward to watching this. It's a good show to launch it with. What do you think about the move? 100%, dude. I mean, they're adopting the Game of Thrones House of the Dragon model. You know, East Coast is 9 p.m., West Coast is 6 p.m. And what do you do? You get a huge influx of people that are watching this and it, I think you're going to you're going to up your views considerably uh -huh. because yep. when the show first goes live you're going to want to I mean let's hope that let's hope Disney servers can hold hold the traffic that they're going to get because yeah. you know when those when the Star Wars when Mandalorian first started or the Marvel WandaVision I had a hard time getting on you know to watch the show I think it's a great move I think it's a great move across the board and they also did something else that I wanted to bring up Disney announced today that they're going to release those shows on physical media yes they're releasing mandalorian and they're releasing i think wandavision and loki and loki so loki. they're having a whole new approach to their their which i think is great and and good for them and i think this can only benefit people like you said six o'clock on the west coast how great for us Oh. You know, but nine o'clock is a perfect time for people on the East Coast as well. It's appointment television, and they're going to get people the next morning. You know, people on the West or on the East Coast, they weren't able to watch it three in the morning and then go to work and talk about it the next day because they hadn't seen it yet. Because right. oh, I was, you know, I had to go to work. Now, I think in a way, in terms of getting excitement, this is a way to build up excitement for a show again, if it's good. Well, that's that's the thing, right? Because here's the problem with the Disney Plus shows. To me, I can't think of one of the Disney Plus shows that I didn't like the first or first two episodes, right? They always start good. Right. And then they end like I really liked the first episode of The Book of Boba Fett. I did. I did too. I ended up hating that show. I liked a lot yeah. the first episode of She-Hulk. I ended up hating that show. I loved the first couple episodes of Moon Knight. I didn't hate it, but it ended up being pretty disappointing for me. Like, that's the thing about Disney, but they tend to start strong. I expect Ahsoka will do the same. Here's hoping it can carry that momentum and actually be a good show overall. I mean, it's eight episodes. 
um, which is better than the traditional six they've been doing. By the way, Agatha, the WandaVision spinoff, they announced it's going to be nine episodes. So wow. hopefully they're stretching, they're starting to stretch that out a little bit. Hopefully, I'm a little bit concerned about Ahsoka because, yeah, the first episode's like 50-something minutes, but then the second episode's 38, and then the third episode's 31, and I'm afraid that the remaining like five episodes after that are going to be like 29 to 33 minutes long, but, but, but whatever. They seem to be going in the right direction. So, uh, <coughs> yeah, I think this is going to make it a lot easier for a lot of people. Being in the, And I think it's I a agree. great move on their part, but Rob is right. Man, it, it all means nothing unless the show ends up being really good. And they've been struggling. Other than with Andor, they've been struggling with that a little bit lately. All right. Guys, with all that down, we are now going to move over and take questions from our YouTube channel members. But before we do, we're going to take a second and thank another sponsor of today's episode of the John Cabot Show podcast, my mobile service provider, and they should be yours, Mint Mobile. Guys, we want to take a second and thank a sponsor of today's video, Mint Mobile. Signing your life away to a big wireless provider is kind of like being trapped on a roller coaster from hell. Sure, it looks like fun at first. They probably even threw in a free phone, but now you can't get off. Month after month of insane bills and unexpected thrills, like overages and surprise fees. If that sounds like your current big wireless plan, it's time to get off the ride with Mint Mobile. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are just $15 a month. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for just 15 bucks a month. You guys know before, I came to Mint Mobile, I was paying triple what I am paying now on the standard big wireless plan, and I will never go back. All plans come with unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get your new unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped right to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com campia. That's mintmobile.com dot com slash campia cut your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia and thank you to our friends at mint mobile for sponsoring this episode of the john campy show podcast all right guys with that down let's get on over and hear from our youtube channel members shall we jonathan what do we got up here first gq writes i just watched ben affleck's movie hypnotic i don't care but i loved it i, I i've ever seen hypnotic. who directed it robert rodriguez robert rodriguez i Look, you guys know I'm a huge Ben Affleck fan. I, I, I'm I, glad you liked it. That's the beautiful thing about the art, but I, I'm not going to lie, I gave up on it. I, I gave up on it. I know, did you have a chance to watch I it? I haven't once? seen it, but it had such an interesting, troubled production history it and did, different yeah. distributors. I, I really want to see what it is. I want. I really want to watch it. I didn't. Is it available on streaming? I don't even know where to get it. And that's, that's part of the problem. There's so little awareness like, about yeah, the film. Like, how can I get it? Yeah. I want to watch it. All right, what's next? All right, uh, Dr. Stinky, uh, I saw Blue Beetle, and it's now my second favorite comic book movie of the year. It's awesome. George Lopez had me dying. Bring on the filthy. I don't know that I, you know, where would I put it? Because, I listen, I quite like, my favorite comic book movie of the year is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, or Across the Spider-Verse. Actually, that to me is still my number one movie of the year, period. I'd have to have Guardians 3 ahead of it. I think I'd even put Flash ahead of it. So, but I really did enjoy it. I, so I'll say, so what I got, I got Spider-Man Across Spider-Verse, Guardians 3. I'll say it's my fourth favorite comic book movie of the year so far. Where would you rank that's it? That's pretty good. You know, I mean, uh, but I haven't, I haven't seen it yet. Oh, that's right. You didn't get so out this I'm weekend, going right? today. I'm going this afternoon. And um, I, you know, what I like about it is the people that like the movie, they really like it. 
So it's a good movie. I mean, that's what everyone said to me. But, you know, it's not apocalyptic. <laughs> I will say this. I didn't love George Lopez's character in the movie. Oh. I'm not saying I didn't love George Lopez. I'm just saying I didn't like the character. I'll say this. If this George Lopez character was in a MCU movie, people would be screaming bloody murder. That, oh, this is the yuck, yuck characters. I think they'd be screaming bloody murder if it was in the MCU. But, I, you know, Jonathan said it best when we came out of watching. We did our out of the theater reaction to it. And Jonathan said the intentional upfront jokes didn't really work. And I agreed. I think a lot of the humor in the film didn't work. It was the subtle humor in it that worked really well. And yeah, the George Lopez character for me didn't really, there was a couple of good moments, a couple of really good moments. And I don't mind the character. I just didn't find the character that funny. No, no, that's just me. All right. What's next? Okay. Uh, but Baylor girl writes, I'm so happy to watch Ahsoka at a normal time, eight central standard time. Without worrying about spoilers, someone at Disney Plus actually listened. Yeah, mm. it took a while, but I'm glad. And that's the other thing, too. Look, my personal philosophy, and not everybody agrees with this, but too bad. My personal <laughs> philosophy on spoilers when it comes to TV shows. Look, when it comes to movies, you have to literally block out an evening of time, sometimes arrange babysitters, travel to a movie theater, block off three hours, you can go do that. And not everybody can do that at the same time. So that's why I believe big spoilers for movies, you should wait to the end of the theatrical run and then after it's been out on home video a little bit, then you can talk openly about spoilers. But for TV, I look at it very, very differently. With TV, the responsibility is not on other people to hide spoilers. The responsibility is on you or me as the viewer to avoid spoilers. Because guess what? The, uh, I don't know, what sports are, the UFC fights the other night, right? They televised the UFC fights. And hey, Sugar Sean O'Malley, baby. I didn't think he was ready to win the title. I'm super thrilled that he did. Sugar Sean wins the title, very happy for him. But guess what? It is not other people's responsibility to not talk about what happened on TV. That was just there for anybody to watch that wanted to watch it. If I want to avoid finding out, if I couldn't watch the fights live and I want to avoid finding out who won the fights, that's my responsibility to stay away from social media, <clears throat> stay away from conversations until I can get home and watch it myself. I believe the same thing with other television. If something's on TV, it's not other people's jobs to make sure you don't get spoiled. It's your responsibility. And But that was a big problem, Rob, because it would be out on midnight, which means some people would stay up or 3 a.m. on the East Coast, which means some people would stay up to watch it. And a lot of people legitimately didn't have the opportunity to try to watch it, but a bunch of other people have and everybody's going to talk about it. This will not fix that problem entirely, but I think it'll alleviate that problem a bit. What do you think? I completely agree. I never understood. Why would you release a marquee title at three o'clock in the morning? It's like you're trying to sneak it by. Yeah, I, yeah, it, yeah, exactly. It never made sense considering HBO has been doing exactly the opposite for two decades now. Like, why don't you follow up with that? And I agree with you with TV, John, and it really, it's sports that does lead the way. I mean, you know, I know it's a preseason game, but I would not have wanted the Seahawks victory over the Dallas Cowboys to be something spoiled for me. But I know that if I'm, if, if it's going to happen at a certain time, it's going to be over. By the way, congratulations, Seahawks. Uh, I hate the Cowboys. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, that's they're why, still 0-0, right? Uh, you still know they're 0-0. I, I know they're 0-0. They're, they're 2-0 <laughs> for the preseason, but hey, I, I just think that that's, sports has always led that. You, the yeah. Olympics, all, all so TV, I agree with 
with you. And I think this was a great move on Disney's part. I think it's a long time coming. Don't understand why it took them so long. But I think like like we, we've we said, we've got an entire half of this country that's happy now. Yep. Much, much better move from the <laughs> part. All right. What's next? Big Cookie writes, I said the cape stays on until you finish, Lex Luthor. Season four of Harley Quinn <laughs> hasn't skipped a beat. What's your favorite moment of the season so far? Bring Tell you what, the, the Harley Quinn has is right on track, man. This show has been so funny this season. You probably didn't see it, but there, there's an episode where there's a, there's a villain convention going on. And Lex is there talking to Talia al Ghul. And instead of having sex with each other, they have two surrogates that have sex on their behalf. As as Lex and Talia sit there drinking martini, martinis, they have their living avatars having sex with each other instead. And he made the guy wear a Superman cape. <laughs> and the guy's... And he's telling him which position to do. He says, you know, doggy works better if I take out the cape. Damn it, I said the cape stays on. And all that kind of stuff. This... What has been my favorite moment? I... I don't know if it's the Alfred making toilet wine in prison. I don't know if it's the, oh, I, I, I don't know. All the Poison Ivy stuff with her PR firm, the Lex stuff, the um, uh, Steppenwolf stuff at the villain convention was hilarious. I, I don't know. There's been a lot, but it has been a great season so far. It's been really good. All right, what's next? Uh, Amin says, so how has Elemental done so well at the box office? Heard it even past Spider-Verse in internationally. Crazy, especially after such a dud of an opening. Uh, dud is putting out. So let me, uh, Elemental box office. Let me put up, pull up, uh, pull it up because I want to get the opening weekend numbers here. But Elemental at the box office. Okay, you know how much you made on its opening weekend? $29 million. $29 million Barely, like less than um, Shazam Fury of the Gods made opening weekend. Shazam Fury of the Gods only made $133 million total worldwide. But Elemental went on to make $458 million. This is a testament to how really good this movie is. Again, I don't think it's a top two or three Pixar film of all time. But I'll use the word, it's great. Elemental is a great movie. It's not like, uh, uh, I almost said Flash Goodyear. Uh, it's not like Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> Flash Goodyear. Flash Goodyear. It's not like Buzz Lightyear, which ended up being a disappointment. This is a great movie, and it just slowly word got out. It's, it's the type of thing that Blue Beetle hopes happens to it, because even though it opened to less than Flash, it ended up making three times what Flash did. Four hundred fifty-eight million. Listen. That still doesn't make it comfortably profitable. It doesn't. But when that movie opened, a lot of people thought this thing would would struggle to make $200 million, And it's gone on to make $458 million. Again, put it in context. More than any of the seven DC films that have come out in the last five years. Elemental made more than that. So just quality, word of mouth, quality, gave it legs. Let's hope the same thing can happen to Blue Beetle. All right, what's next? CJ Rebirth writes, another thing I'm excited about seeing in Disney's Wish later this year is its presentation in Cinemascope Ratio, uh, which is what Sleeping Beauty was animated in and what movie look, and that movie looked beautiful. I'm going to say something that's going to be very unpopular amongst my cinephile friends. I don't care about it. I really don't. I, I, I never go into a movie thinking, oh, look, this one does the 
172-165-4B ratio. Ooh, it, it honestly, for me, has never made a difference. And I know Rob probably wants to pull his hair out right now because some of my cinema cinephile friends like pay real close attention to that stuff and have a favorite and whatnot. And I'll be honest with you, it has never made a lick of difference to me. The one time I noticed it, Rob, is when the odd film that moves back and forth between yeah, absolutely. aspect I'm ratios. Back, yeah. But it doesn't really matter. To Although, me you know, for an animated film to be animated in, in CinemaScope, <laughs> widescreen, Panavision, whatever you want to call it, is pretty neat because, you know, the image has to be animated. Yeah. So it's, 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 and it has to be animated in that aspect ratio. So I think that, that it lead, it, it makes it a little bit more interesting to me just to see they, they must've felt that the material was good enough to warrant right. this kind of treatment. So that's cool. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. All right, what's next? Uh, Eric Starling writes, Hey, John and crew. John, I know that you are not a physical media collector, but what are your thoughts on Disney's announcement on releasing WandaVision, Loki Season 1, Mandalorian Seasons 1 and 2, on Blue 4K Blu-ray? The word I'd use is confusing um, because we talked recently about the fact that the entire continent of Australia, they just said they're no longer going to be selling physical media at all. Disney as a whole won't be selling any physical media there at all. We've also talked about the fact that it's counterintuitive. If their goal is to get people to sign up on Disney Plus and you make those shows to attract viewers to Disney Plus, it is counterproductive to offer other means of having it. But bring up the question again, Jonathan, because I, I want to point something out. Is that look at what shows they have they're making available on physical media right now. WandaVision, which is by streaming measures old. Loki season one, which is old. Mandalorian seasons one and two, they've already finished season three, is old. Um, they're going back to older shows that no one's going to sign up for Disney Plus for WandaVision today. No one's going to sign up to want to Disney Plus for Loki season one today. So it's like they're taking any show that they know they're not going to get any more subscribers sign up for. And it's like, let's take one last stab at a revenue stream and put it out on physical media. So I, I get it. A little confusing. I honestly, Rob, here's the part that I'm a little confused about. I don't think people who really want to watch WandaVision haven't already signed up to Disney Plus to watch it, right? So it's it's a little confusing to me, but certainly good news for people who are physical media collectors, I would guess. What do you think about it? Well, I do. I think it's it's great, but here's the thing that's even more confusing. Disney, because when Disney Plus became a thing, they lessened the quality of their physical media releases. Oh, they I didn't kind know of that. they kind of choked off the the Dolby Atmos tracks were not as good as the ones that were available on Disney Plus. They never made them IMAX enhanced. Warner Brothers, beginning with Dark Knight, gave us those changing aspect ratios when Nolan would do it in his films, but they didn't do it. They didn't give us the IMAX enhanced Infinity War and Endgame, and then they did it on the actual streaming right, service. Right, right. So their physical media offerings. Disney used to be one of the best in the business. They made them lesser. So that was another incentive to go to Disney Plus and watch them. So are they going to do the same thing with these physical media releases? Or are they going to go full bore and give us Dolby Vision, give us Dolby Atmos, and make sure we have the most robust presentations on physical media that we can get? I hope we do. But All right. Let's take time for two more. What do we got next? Seaham uh, writes, hi, John and crew. What direction do you think Thor 5 will go? Will we get a Beta Ray Bill? It's impossible to say. I mean, literally Thor 5 at this point, first of all, 
if there is a Thor 5, it wouldn't happen until after Avengers Secret Wars. So it would be folly to try to speculate which direction is Thor 5 going to go when we are literally probably four or five years away from that movie ever happening and knowing there's like a couple of movies that Thor will most likely be a part of that a lot of major things could happen to the character in that time. So I I have, if Thor 5 was coming out next week, yeah, you could think, like every time there's a Thor movie coming out, people wonder if Beta Ray Bill's going to be in it. They thought that for Thor 1, Thor 2, Thor, for Thor 3, and Thor 4. Obviously, it hasn't happened yet. That's going to be a question for the next one. But we could have some ideas about where the movie's going if it was coming out this year. But I don't know, Rob. We just have no idea where this character is going to be after the the next couple of Avengers movies. Uh, I agree. You know, I saw some report that they're talking about Hercules being in the movie. And well, I, that's because the end of Thor: Love and Thunder, uh, right? Of course. Yeah. And if he was, I'm thinking, if you gave us a a lethal weapon movie in the Thor universe with two gods teaming up, <laughs> and it's kind of like Riggs and Murtaugh, I'm like, okay, that could be. I could see that that direction could work. I mean, these two gods, one of them, you know, the Greek Roman pantheon and the Asgardian pantheon, the Norse pantheon. These that could be fun. And whoever you cast, if you get a great that well, they already act, cast him. But are they going to the keep guy from him? Ted Lasso? Yeah, but will they keep him? Oh, I think I don't think you put mean, him in that much that, plan. If, to but keep if you him. if they do, think about how those they can play off one another. It'd be pretty funny. He'd be like, "I'm getting too ancient for this shit." Yeah, I'm getting too ancient, and it, I think it could be really, really good. And listen, and I'll tell you what. This is going to make a lot of people mad. Boo-hoo, I don't care. I thought Russell Crowe was great in Thor Love and Thunder. With all the problems I had with Thor Love and Thunder, with, with them going too silly and all that stuff, so I agree. I completely agree. But one of the things that, that worked for me was, you are not invited to the orgy. I loved Russell Crowe as Zeus. And, and I think him as the father of Hercules, I'll sign up and watch that. I'll tell, Maybe he redeems himself in Thor's eyes. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. All right. Last question of the day. What's next? Ian Barth writes, game day. What are your biggest worries and biggest hopes for Ahsoka tonight? Well, it's not tonight. It's tomorrow night. Um, am I going to get Mandalorian season one or am I going to get Book of Boba Fett? I, I, I mean, we just simply don't know. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, the track record of Disney Plus tells me that we're not going to know after night one either. Even though we're getting the first two episodes tomorrow night. I, for those of you who don't know, Ahsoka is dropping the first two episodes tomorrow. So we're going to get the first two. But that, hopefully they're good, but it doesn't, even if they're great, it doesn't tell us how the series as a whole is going to be. So I'm not really sure. I want to see that Marvel balance of some heavy, dark themes balanced with adventure and fun and some levity. I, if they can get the Rebels formula in there, I they, it, it could be really, really good. I... Book of Boba Fett should have been awesome. Yeah. Obi-Wan should have been awesome. So I, I just don't know what we'll get. But uh, I don't know, Rob, what, what are your hopes and ambitions and fears going into the first uh, night? Look, I have to say, these trailers really got me hooked. I agree. I'm like, this looks like some Star Wars I'd like to see. Um, but, you know, I feel that way about all these shows. I go into them thinking, I'm more perplexed that they don't work. 
Like, how yeah. do you not make a great Boba Fett series? Especially after we saw Boba Fett being introduced in Mandalorian season two. Who didn't want to see that show? He was awesome. Oh, that ending of Mandalorian season two with him on Jabba's throne is like, oh, I can't wait to watch I, this. And then you're like, wait, what? We're getting the Vespa gang? I, where? <laughs> you know, and I'm, look, I really like Rebels, the animated series. Me I too. thought it was great. I like the characters. Um, I like the fact that, you know, this is like Dave Filoni's, you have a creator that's really invested in this material because they've had so much to do with it. I, I don't think that Dave Filoni wants to see this show do anything but be awesome. So, and I love the cast. cast I love is all great. The cast is great. Everybody they've cast is so interesting to me. They suit their roles really, really well. The show looks good. I have high hopes. So I think it's going to be great. And <laughs> I have 24 hours. I have, I have 36 hours left. Before I, I know other people have seen it and did notice the the, the word on the streets that's pretty good. Now remember they they've seen the first two episodes. Right, Disney I mean, in its classic uh, bait and switch has only shown the first two episodes to to critics. Right? I know, not, I, I, not cautiously, not the thirty minute episode, not the thirty minute yeah. episode, but the first two episodes uh, to get that critic score high. But remember, when you see the Rotten Tomatoes critic score on Ahsoka, remember that is only based on the first two episodes. It's not based on the series as a whole. Uh, yeah. So. I just, springs turn. I just hope there's not too many episodes, meaning zero episodes where she gets stuck on a planet and has to help the locals fight off someone, <laughs> some evil pirate gang as a distraction before she gets the, off the goddamn planet and see, back on the story. See, no, no, I, I agree. Now, I don't mind that formula with, say, a Mandalorian because it's that spaghetti Western yeah, he's, serialized. He's the man with no name thing, in right? a sense. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I liked that episode to episode kind of feel to it, but in something like Ahsoka, where you setting up in the trailers, an epic story, you are told us that this is an epic story with these fallen Jedi who are not necessarily Sith, these fallen Jedi, the return of Grand Admiral Thrawn, Ahsoka recruiting help from her past including her old Padawan, still struggling with the fall of Anakin Skywalker. You have sold, sold to us a bill that says this is truly an epic story. If it devolves quickly into just four of the episodes are, I'm going to help this local find their lost, you know, speeder. Dingleberry. It's, I'm, I'm going to be pretty disappointed because that's not <laughs> what they sold us. It is what they sold us with Mandalorian. Right. It's not what they sold us with this. So we'll see. Hope springs eternal. Guys, <laughs> that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campy Show podcast. Thank you so much for being here and making this show part of your day. Big special thank you to our YouTube channel members. Number one, for being channel members and supporting what we do here, but also for sending in these questions and topics for us to discuss. Don't forget, guys, a little bit later today, we're going to have a live stream of Open Mic. We hope you guys will come back and join us for that. And until next time, guys, I want to thank everybody who's in the room with me. We, of course, got Ray Or Total power, baby. Jonathan right. Voiko. A little off topic, but anyway, see you guys. Writer, director, producer, host of Observations and all sorts of good stuff, Robert Meyer Burnett. My name's John Campy, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.